Hey everyone, welcome back. My name is Sam. And I'm Melissa. I grew up in the FLDS community. It is a polygamous group run by Warren Jeffs, which I moved out of when I was 18 years old. I was raised LDS. Sam and I have been married for eight years and have two beautiful babies. Yes, we do. And today we have a very special treat. We are very excited to welcome a guest on our channel today, Caroline. She is actually from the Mennonite group, and we are very excited to learn from her a little bit more about the Mennonites today. Well, thanks for being here, Caroline. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I was so excited when you reached out and emailed us and we're sharing some of your story. And I was like, will you please come on so we can talk to you more? Because I have a million questions and it would take us like a year for me to email back and forth and have all my questions answered. So I really appreciate you being willing to come on and purely for my curiosity. Yes, <laughs> thank you so much. And uh, I'm sure there's a lot of other people out there just like us that have a lot of questions as well. So. We're excited to uh, to learn more about you today. Thank you. I'm so excited to answer questions and like maybe um, disperse some stereotypes. So I'm really I'm so excited. I can't even. Fantastic. Yeah, it's always it's always funny how many stereotypes like people have with, without ever knowing anyone, right? Like, and so it's always great when you have a chance. Or I know the FLDS are so mysterious, and then when Sam shares, it's like oh that's kind of how I grew up like this. So it's kind of how I grew up like that. So there's always more similarities, I think, between all religions than what people realize and until you're willing to talk about it. I agree, definitely. And it's been amazing to see as well when we first put out a couple videos uh, about or reviewing the Mennonite groups. Uh, we don't personally know that much other than just the re reviews we've done or the, the little bit of research we have done. But mm -hmm. a lot of our viewers have commented and emailed us and know a lot about these groups. So, uh, you know, it seems to be a pretty well-known uh, community, the Mennonite communities. So uh, I guess may maybe I'm just learning a little bit later than uh, I wish I knew more, but uh, I'm excited to, to learn today. Yeah, yeah, I will say it's not um, totally unusual. I feel like the Mennonite and Amish communities generally tend to be um, more populated in the Midwest. I spent a very small amount of time living in like the southern region of the United States. And anytime I mentioned anything about Mennonite, they're like, what is that? And then I'd be like, oh, it's like Amish, but different. And then they'd be like, what is Amish? And I'd be like, oh, wow, this is like a learning curve for all of us. But yeah. Wow. I think a lot of people on the West Coast as well, like in Utah, I, there were a lot of people who wouldn't have known who the Amish or Mennonites were at all yeah. as well. There's not very many around here in uh, southern Utah and the Nevada area that I know of anyway. So so what, what, I guess the first question would be is what kind of Mennonite group did you grow up in? Because we have since learned after doing our video that there's a whole lot of different groups. Would you mind explaining and expanding just a little bit on what different groups there are and what group you were a part of? Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of different groups. Um, there's what would be considered conservative Mennonite, which is um, generally speaking, women wear head coverings. Men um, traditionally have beards. They um, wear a certain type of outfit. Um, then there's like the, for lack of better term, like normal Mennonite. Um, secular I there's not really a term for it um that I'm aware of but basically women just wear normal clothes jeans um 
patterns are allowed. Um, and then um, I'm trying to think like how to explain it, but then there's like also like beachy Mennonite where they're less conservative in their clothing than super conservative Mennonite. Um, but there is um, a little bit of a divide there. So, for example, in my community, off the top of my head growing up, I think there were, oh gosh, at least five Mennonite churches um, okay. in my town alone that I can think of. And each one was just a little tiny bit different. Oh. Um, so I know like two off the top of my head, women wore head coverings. Usually um, it was like a little black doily, kind of like what you would see um, yeah. <laughs> on your grandmother's um, the coffee table. <laughs> yeah, like their dining room table or whatever. So they've had that on their head. Um, more conservative women would have like a full blown um, bonnet. Um, not as popular though. Um, and then less conservative midnight women would wear um, like usually like a simple shirt with a skirt usually like black was very popular and then um like tennis shoes and then um but and then sometimes dresses um you see those actually in my area still um like you'll see them going to you know typical stores like old navy gap marshall's whatever because they um still do kind of shop for normal clothes um that's like the more obvious differences I can think of. Theologically, um, all Mennonites and um, the Amish do kind of have similar backgrounds. So, for example, like Mennonites are Anabaptist, which is a type of Protestantism that um, emphasizes the personal choice of baptism. We do not believe in infant baptism or um, children being baptized super young. Like it, we believe it is um, a choice that a follower of Christ does. Um, and we believe that based on the um, like example of Christ where he got baptized when he was and about 30 years old and he made that decision no one made that for him and so that's where that belief comes in the baptism so can a child or a teenager ask to be baptized or do they have to be 18 and be uh, legally an adult to be able to make that decision yeah so younger kids can get baptized i think it does kind of depend on the church and the community um, I know that when I got baptized, I was actually on the younger side at the time. I was 11 when I made that decision. Um, but nowadays, I would, at least in my church, even though we're not Mennonite anymore, so we didn't do this until I was older. But we, in that, this current time frame, I am seeing children as young as like nine getting baptized. Um, not super young though and even when we do baptism 
it's not as simple as saying I want to get baptized and then like we go to a creek or a baptismal whatever and do it um we have classes that we go through just to explain the importance of baptism and what it means as a believer of Jesus Christ to be baptized we see that as like almost an initiation into the mission and starting um, your journey of being a part of the Great Commission of going out and spreading believers. Oh, wow. Interesting. So did uh, just a quick question here before we get uh, too far along. Um, you, you mentioned uh, the differences in, in the, um, the way they dress and that type of thing. So which, which, did you grow up in a more traditional group? Did you wear the bonnet or the, the traditional type of clothes? No. So, um, like I said, in my community, that was not uncommon. But at my specific church, that was already, like, kind of dying out by the oh. time um, I was going to the church. So, with my own personal background, um, I guess one thing I do need to explain is there's, like, Kind of like Judaism, how there's like a religious Judaism and then there's Judaism as a heritage. Mennonite is similar in that um, a lot of people um, come from like Dutch, Swiss, um, Swiss, German backgrounds. Okay. Um, and like they've been Mennonite for generations. Um, I was not that way. Our family joined the Mennonite church from a non-denominational church, actually, um, because oh. we had friends of this church, loved the theology and, um, like, the good people and how, like, how service-oriented the church was. Um, and I think, honestly, that would have been, like, the whole head covering thing might have been something that would have scared my parents away if my mom was asked to do that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, growing up, that wasn't a thing. So, Only, like, really older ladies did it. And now, you, like, in my church, I can't think of a single woman who has a head covering, actually. I was going to ask as well, when you say that there was five Mennonite churches and they were all, like, just a little bit different, um, did you get to pick which one? Or, like, people who are you born into it? I know you just said your family converted into it. Um, a lot of the people, are they just kind of born into a certain sect? Or is it like you get to choose? Or do you see people transfer from one to another easily? Or is it like once you've picked one, you kind of stay the course with that one? So with that, it kind of depends on your family culture, um, which sounds weird, but it does kind of make sense. So um, in my church, a lot of the people are related, like, I, I I sometimes joke like going to church is literally a family a weekly family reunion because ninety five percent of them are related. Right. Um, so it's kind of funny there, but um, part of it is like you go where your family goes, but there is also an element of if you feel for whatever reason like you want to try a different church, you can go to a different church. Um, the community in and of itself won't be upset. Your family might have personal stuff about that because they're like, well, you're going to a different church, but right. it, it doesn't really matter um, in the grand scheme of things to the majority of people. So you have options. If we had chosen to go to 
a different church, it wouldn't have been the end of the world. Um, actually, when our church was going through its transition, um, other churches in the area were also like going through similar issues um, mm. at the time. And so we did see a lot of like flip-flopping and switching around um, of congregations because we'd have like some people leave this church and then come to ours um, or leave ours and go to theirs. Um, so it's kind of funny because we just flip-flop for a while. Gotcha. Wow. But you said a lot of the core doctrine is the same throughout yes. the different branches, right? So it may just be the, like the dress and like the things that you're allowed to do, kind of more the rules rather than the doctrine that are different between congregations. Is that right? Yeah, dress and then also very specific beliefs about very specific issues. Like even though there are core things that um, are the same, like how... Okay, so a good example is like core doctrines that are the same, like Jesus Christ is the Son of God, He came, died, and rose again. Um, you're going to find that the majority of those Mennonite churches, I would count, go and say all of them. Um, yeah. What might be a little different is their approach to, um, like, say, the LGBT community, um, how they approach um, things like finances, um, the leadership might be different, worship might look a little different, like some churches have better <laughs> like musical worship than others in some people's opinion. So some people like look for that, you know, those little things that generally speaking, people look for in um, looking for different churches. Oh, that makes sense. I mean, it's similar with uh, through a lot of different Christian churches. You know, there are a lot of similar core doctrinal beliefs, but uh, just a little bit different debate depending on the denomination that you uh, attend. So that makes sense. I always think that's so cool because growing up LDS, like you're assigned based on where you live. Oh. You're assigned a specific time at a specific building mm -hmm. and there is no mixing up. Like, um, other than if there's like a special event at somebody else's ward, like if a family member's speaking in their ward, then you can go and attend that. But like, I couldn't regularly go attend a different ward. You'd actually get called in and not, That's not in wild. trouble, but they'd be like, what's going on. You need to be, it's a very big thing that you need to be in your specific congregation based on your location. It's very important. And even yeah. as like um, the young single adult wards, when you're like from 18 to 29 and you go and you just have church with other singles and even there, like that would happen all the time where people would try to go to church, even just with their friends, even though the entire church system itself was the exact same with every ward and was mm -hmm. done the same, you would try to go with your friends and like, you kind of get in trouble. Like everyone, you all need to be going to your own ward. You all need to be going based on wherever you were assigned. So the idea of getting to like go to different congregations and have it be different or be like, I like music. I want to go to that one. That sounds super fun yeah. to me. <laughs> yeah. I find that so surprising. I can't imagine my church like being that controlling. My pastor, I can't even imagine him being like, is everything okay? Why did you go somewhere else? Like just, I find that so interesting. You mentioned pastor. So is that the, the leader of the congregation was referred to as a pastor? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's interesting. I was going to ask that. Uh, and in your in that uh, place where you live, and there's these five different uh, churches, 
if one if someone from another group was walking down the street and saw one from a different church what was it friendly uh was everyone really close friends and kind of agreed that oh it's all similar and it's pretty much the same doctrine or or how how was that relationship between groups oh yeah like everything is super friendly um a lot of those people are extended family like super extended like think third fourth fifth sixth cousins so yeah that's super friendly or just like really good friends um i do live in a smaller community so a lot of people are related or a lot of people know each other through work and business um so yeah i mean nine times out of ten super friendly um no real big issues um, Good. Yeah. And uh, really quick, kind of back to where we originally started talking about. Uh, were you told why it was for for those that believed in wearing the head covering and that? Were Were you taught why that was asked of them or why it was important that they uh, followed that rule? Yeah. So if you look in scripture, I am blanking on the exact verses, but Paul does talk about. Um, how women need to cover their heads because they, um, the head of the household is the man, and then the man, um, the head of man is God. So, like, it's all about how it's a respect to God and a respect to um, men. However, um, that is also kind of a, um, the kind of theological debate there is whether or not. Paul was speaking from like a morality standpoint or um, from a cultural standpoint. Um, our personal conviction from my understanding, and this is at least my conviction, was that that had a lot more to do with the culture of the time and just respecting cultural norms um, far more than like a moral thing, like if a woman's head uncovered then she's like a disgrace to society or something so um but some people of course do believe still that that is a priority and head covering is a morality thing um so of course i'm not going to shame a person for doing that or choosing right yeah absolutely thank you we appreciate that because we've it's in a bunch of different uh, groups that we've kind of started looking into or seen videos and stuff, it's interesting to find a lot of the women have head coverings, um, mm-hmm. but every single group kind of has a different answer. I really like your answer. And it's really interesting to see like the comparisons to the answers of why they're told. Like which which group was it? Maybe it was the Hutterites. The Hutterites, I believe. There was a group that when they were asked like in a documentary and she was like, I don't know. We yeah. just are told to do it. You know, it's like pure obedience. So it is cool that you got more of an answer than that, that there was actually a, a, a scriptural reason behind mm-hmm. it. At least I'm the type of person where I'm always like, why, why, you gotta why? Have, you got to have something <laughs> backing the reason up, right? Exactly. <laughs> so. Well, and I'm always the type of person, especially when it came to theology, I always wanted to know the why. So I was the person who would search those answers out. Like, why does that matter? Does it really matter? And then, you know, yeah. Yeah. So you said that your family found this specific group later and converted. How old were you for that? And what was that like for you? Oh, gosh. I was young. I was, 
a year and a half, two years old when we made that transition. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so you grew up your almost your entire life with it. Exactly. So like I just grew up like identifying as Mennonite in a lot of ways. Like even though I knew I wasn't culturally Mennonite, like I believed in a lot of the principles. I still do. Um, I like what Mennonites have like a very specific type of food, like comfort food. And oh, I love the food. Um, we have a local restaurant here that, oh, the food there is to die for. Like, I'm just thinking about it now and I'm really hungry. Okay, wait, give me some examples. I want to hear yes. what, what kind of food. What kind of food? And I was love it all, food. Was it all homemade, <laughs> I assume? Or what was that like? Okay, so good, good example is like chocolate peanut butter pie. It is like this um, chocolate pie, like pudding pie. And then like they take peanut butter and like kind of turn it into, I want to say they use some sort of graham cracker maybe. I don't know exactly how this is done, but they like um, roll that in the cracker and like sprinkle it up on top and put it in the middle. And oh my goodness, it's amazing. Oh, that sounds so good. I'm hungry now. That sounds great. <laughs> I know. And then... There was, this is a funny story. So, um, Amish peanut butter, my Amish have like this stereotype of being like super healthy because a lot of them are very thin because they work outside a lot and are in construction a lot of the time and, um, are much more agrarian. <laughs> um, so my mom like got into this habit of eating a lot of Amish peanut butter because a friend made it. And she's thinking like, oh, this is healthy. It's fine. It's Amish. And then she started noticing she was actually gaining weight from eating this. And so she went to the friend's daughter and was like, hey, how does your mom make this? Like, what, what are the ingredients? And one of the main ingredients was marshmallow fluff. Really? <laughs> that yes. does sound good, though. Oh, my it's word. Very, so they make oh, very, so very creamy. So, wow, so growing, that makes sense why it's so good then, right? Yeah, <laughs> growing up, my mom, um, she would make a peanut butter and marshmallow fluff sandwich. Mm. Yeah, on just like good old white bread, right? Like <laughs> mm. white bread, peanut butter was like fluff on the other, and it was so, so good. And so I'm like, I can already like imagine what what that mixture tastes like because i think that's kind of what was on my sandwich <laughs> i have a, a kind of a random question but because you brought up the uh, amish i assume people want to know i want to know growing up mennonite what did you think about the amish were they were they the, the crazy people over there that are living a different way or were they just like you know that those are cousins practically like what what was that like the, the view on the amish a lot of times, for a lot of people, they are cousins, actually. So a oh. lot of Amish and Mennonites are related. Um, if a lot of Amish, if they choose to leave um, the Amish lifestyle, become Mennonite. It's like kind of a segue in some ways. Because um, the Amish are a lot more strict in a lot of things, right? They like are. So, use of technology okay. and stuff. Yes, use of technology. Um, and then also... They have a different government system in some ways. So in the Mennonite church, the pastor and like the elders don't really have a dictate on your life and your community as much. 
oh. um, with the Amish community, that's very different. Like each very church strict. is like its own town and government system and kind of has its own rules. And this is speaking generally. I'm not Amish. I can't speak fully on their behalf, but that's the gist of it. Um, and I'm sure like there will be a, a former Amish person who will correct me on here, but basically <laughs> um, what it boils down to is with Mennonites, generally speaking, the pastors don't have nearly as much um, control over their congregates' personal lives and like rules as Amish bishops do. I see. So Sounds kind of like FLDS, you're the Amish, the LDS are the Mennonites, and when you go from FLDS to LDS, you feel like it's like I, a huge like, I felt, liberation. I felt like right? I had all the freedom in the world going <laughs> from something so extreme as the FLDS, so I wonder if that's, like you say, similar. It probably feels similar for people, like you said, if they're leaving the Amish and then they go to being Mennonite, they probably feel a sense of a lot of freedom. There is. Well, and it's also kind of does depend on the Amish group because there are some groups who are a lot more limit, um, liberal about technology than others. Oh. Um, like one thing about the Amish, at least in my area, generally speaking, is that they're very business. There's like a big gap between how they conduct business life and how they conduct um, personal life. So more technology is allowed when it is required um, for the success of a business. Oh, um, I see. And but there is like generally speaking a pretty firm like there's business and there's your personal life. You can have like for example they may have like a cell phone for work purposes, but they get home that cell phone is not what's going with them. Um, Sounds familiar, huh, babe? Yes, it does. <laughs> So, uh, so as far as, uh, because some of these documentaries we have seen about the Mennonites, actually, uh, that they, they were, they wouldn't drive their own vehicles, but it was okay to ride in a vehicle as long as they weren't the ones driving. Was that you, the case that you grew up in as well? Or did you have the vehicles you wanted? Yeah, we, um, I can't think of any church in my area that would have had that rule. Maybe one, but yeah, my area, like, we all drove cars. My dad is a car lover. His dad was a mechanic. He's a mechanic. Okay. Both my brothers love cars. Like cars are a part of our heritage in some ways. So <laughs> um, that, that explains then why so many people commented after we we uh, did a review on that documentary, saying that uh, that was a very unique group of Mennonite. <laughs> yes. All Mennonites are not like that at all, and that, that that's good to know. And uh, yeah, so that was kind of news to me. I guess we need, I guess there's a, a lot of groups that are completely different from they that. Are. Um, you see that more with Amish, for sure. Like in in our area, we, we know when it's an Amish group because there will be like, um, like a particular white van that you see and you'll see all these women in their bonnets and then these men with their beards and they're like all piled up like, 12 of them in this one van um, driven by someone who very clearly does not look like them. Um, and so, yeah, um, that's in my area at least more common of the Amish than of the Mennonite 
I will okay. say that like with more conservative midnight groups that you that would be the case. Um, I see a lot of more conservative Mennonite women like like fully decked in their dresses and then riding bikes and I'm like power to ya. Yeah. <laughs> I know how that feels. I would see the women in the FLDS community even swimming. They would be fully dressed in their dresses, everything, braids in their hair. So <laughs> So some people take it to an extreme. <laughs> so what was a typical church service like? What was what did your day look like on a Sunday? Um, so we go in and we have Sunday school. Um, children are divided by grade or age group. Um, and then up until middle school, then we had like our own middle school group and then high school group. Um, and then adults kind of had their choice of what Sunday school services they chose to go to or Sunday school classes. Um, there are some things that are divvied by age group a little bit, like if the class is specifically concerning like what it looks like to be getting older, then maybe older generations will gravitate towards that. Um, if we're doing particular studies on um, like books of the Bible, you'll see people from a lot of different age groups together on those. Um, and then after Sunday school, which is about an hour, we'd have um, service where everyone gets into the sanctuary. Um, we start with some music. We do announcements, prayer requests, um, um, and then ties and offering offerings where we pray over those and just generally pray um more music like three or four songs um and then when we're done we go into sermon time and um that whole um sermon and like sanctuary church service um process is about an hour to an hour and a half and then and everyone, a lot of people, um, I know in a lot of churches, it's not uncommon, like service ends and everyone just heads out the door. In our service, we'll have like people slowly leaving, but more often than not, we have a lot of people who are talking afterwards, getting to catch up on each other and like, be like, how's your sister doing? How's your daughter doing? Do you need this or that or the other? Um, what events are going on um i used to um my little brother and i used to get so frustrated with my dad because he would <laughs> talk and talk and like talk so long that the lights would be turned off like after <laughs> and he'd still be talking to a friend and we're like dad it's lunchtime we're hungry we are starving we are going to yeah. die <laughs> we, we, I joke all the time that my dad is going to like pause the rapture because Jesus is going to be up there like it's time to go it's like, <laughs> <laughs> well I mean I can imagine it was a, a, an opportunity for the community to catch up and uh, like you said it was almost like a family reunion once a week yeah. because everyone knew each other or were related 
Um, so back to your service. Uh, so after Sunday school, y'all meet for your main service. Was there a lot of music and singing or, or was it just because uh, I know that some groups we heard anyway, some groups didn't use instruments like a piano and it was just the, the this, you know, singing acapella. Was that what was it like in your service with, with the singing? In our service, there was instruments. I think I'm not for sure on this, but I feel like when our church was like back in maybe the 60s, 70s, I could be wrong here. There was a debate on whether or not instruments were allowed. Um, we do have hymnals and every so often we'll pop them out and use them. We don't use them very often though. Um, majority of the time it's with instruments. I'm sure there are churches that don't use instruments, but the majority of the ones I can think of do. Guitar and other instruments like beyond just a piano or an organ? Yes, yeah, we don't have an organ. We would we just have a piano, guitar, drums, bass, like Oh, you're um, having you're having a good time in there, it sounds. Mm -hmm. I'm jealous. <laughs> I grew up with just piano or organ. Piano or organ, that's it. Sometimes someone would get to bring in a violin and we yeah. were excited for that, but that was about it. There was no no guitars, no one time my brother did get permission. Oh, really? to play guitar. I think it was at his homecoming from his mission, but it was a huge deal and it had to be acoustic and very soft. Yeah, oh, very wow. rare. So very, very rare. It had to always be very, very um, solemn, very reverent music. The, the idea of having drums in church is just out of this world. <laughs> it excites in my me. Mind. I feel like we need to go, we need to go and experience, experience that. that. Yeah. yeah. Neither one of us live stream every week. I can send you the link. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. Yeah. Seriously, I'm like I need to. Ex I I love music, and I yeah I feel like I would totally dig. We, we in missed out on drums. some of the exciting music. Um, so oh go ahead. Oh sorry, I had a question about the the sermons. So were the sermons always given by the pastor, or did members of the congregation give sermons as well? Um. So with the sermon, mainly the pastor. Um. Right now we have a larger church, so we have four pastors now. And so um, some um, we have a main pastor who does the majority of the sermons, but sometimes our other pastors will teach. Um, so every so often we'll have guests come in who speak um, on what's going on in their um, world. Like every so often we'll have some guest pastors come in and speak or um we send out a lot of missionaries, so if they um, come back, sometimes they'll give like a whole sermon, like on their experience in the mission field um, and what was going on. Sometimes we'll just have a little, like, ten-minute thing where missionaries will come and discuss what's going on with them. Um, okay, so I have a lot of questions about missionaries now, but, <laughs> but before we get to that. To, to stick with the, the, the meeting here, I just had a question. Did you partake of the sacrament or the breaking of bread and wine, any of that kind of thing? Yes. So, Or I, say, I, I guess I should say, do you? Or did you do you? Either way. <laughs> yeah. So we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, which is like a piece of bread and grape juice. We don't do wine um, okay. or water. It's grape juice for us. Maybe somewhere they do water or something else. I don't know. That's just what we do. Um, we don't do it every time, 
um, every sermon. We try to keep it, um, our church, it's very important to keep communion special. So we call it communion. We okay. do not see it as a sacrament or like a requirement for salvation necessarily as much as a very, very important symbolic gesture showing how much God loves us and how important it is to remember the sacrifice that Jesus um, took for us. And so we don't believe in things like um, transubstantiation. We don't believe that it actually becomes like the blood and um, and body of Christ. We just believe that it was a good way to remember the sacrifice that um, Christ did for us and um, like how much God loves us. Oh, okay. I like that. Very cool. So, uh, well, thank you for answering that question. And uh, now to the missionaries. Wait, wait, wait. I have one more question about four missions. Sorry, okay, I'll great. make it fast, no, though. Go ahead. Okay, with four pastors, when you say you have a large church, about how many people is that? 400, 500 per service. Okay, wow. Okay, yeah. that's all I was just trying to like wrap my head around. That is a lot. Comparing, obviously, to, to myself and what a congregation looked like and how many people were in church and stuff. So I was just curious. You yeah, know, that's such I a relative number. Too. So um, I, growing up, I would say it was closer to 200, 300, which is still sizable. But now, um, in recent years, we've seen a lot of growth and been really blessed by that. And plus, like, our church takes be fruitful and multiply very seriously, so we have a lot of children. Okay, okay. so I'm guessing no contraception. Um. Oh yeah, we definitely like believe in that. And um, oh, okay, but just encouraged to have bigger families. That's how it is with the LDS. Like you can have contraception, but definitely encouraged to be fruitful. To have yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. And like we definitely like one thing that's very common in our church is um, adoption and fostering. Um, that's just something that's always been modeled in our church. It's not necessarily like a requirement or anything, but it's a lot of people do it. And so, um, we've always seen like, even if you don't have the ability to have kids, um, you can adopt or we have a lot of people who have their own like biological children and then later on choose to foster and adopt, um, so we have a lot of um, kids coming in that way too, which is great. That's awesome. And is, the, is having lots of children more traditional or doctrinal for you? More just traditional. Um, okay. You know, back um, a lot of Mennonite and Amish background was very agrarian and agricultural, like working farms and all that. So. Um, people had a lot of children back then because you need a lot of help. Um, that makes sense. <laughs> now I would say like we have, um, like people will have three, four, five kids because that's just what you do. Some people have more, some people have less. I have none, like, and don't plan on having any. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's always like whatever God blesses you with and calls you to do, like, is up to you and between you, God, and your family. But, um, yeah, it's just kind of, like, traditional to have. Okay. Like, cool. okay. Yeah, like you said, Melissa, that sounds similar to, like, the LDS. L- LDS, the LDS yeah. they adopt. I mean, they had their own adoption agency for a very long time as well. Mm. So very big into adoption and 
all that good stuff. But anyway, I'll let you get to your mission questions because okay, I know you have a lot. <laughs> well, first of all, I had no idea that the Mennonites or uh, I don't know about Amish either, if there are missionaries. I didn't know anything about the missionary work. So I would just love to hear more about what that entails. Is it required? Is it just uh, something you volunteer for? What is what is missionary work? Do you look move like? away? Is it local? Yeah. There's a lot that goes into missions work. I'm not particularly sure about the Amish. From my understanding, they do a lot of um, disaster relief at times. But outside okay. of that, I don't really know that missionary work is as involved. But with Mennonites, especially like my church specifically, oh, yeah. Like that was very like not required but encouraged um for men and women or one yep, or the other for men and women okay. so when i was about four years old um we went and did work in kentucky um a lot of um work in the united states revolves around disaster relief there's actually um a nonprofit called mennonite disaster relief and they'll go into situations like um for example they did a lot of work with her during hurricane katrina um, or just like smaller natural disasters in Kentucky. I forget the exact oh. situation because I was so young, but a That's whole bunch cool. of us, like me, my parents, we all went to Kentucky and helped this family like rebuild their houses and like clean up some muck. Um, I didn't do anything because I was four. I just ran around. And you were just there for the, for the ride. So yeah. so when, when missionary work is done in, in at least your group, it was done as a family. No one went out on their own. Yes, and it really depended on what God was calling you to do. Um, we have short-term missions where, like, you go for a couple days, help out um, with something, and then you come back home. We have other missionaries where who will be going all across the world. Um, I can think of one family, like, I'm not going to get into names for privacy, but, like, who regularly goes to Haiti and helps build wells and houses and um, has an orphanage. And that's just like a huge part of their life. Um, we have other people who will do like two or three years of missions, like in Alaska, Indonesia, Thailand, whether that be just like sharing the word of God, building churches, whatever. And then we also have like a lot of local missions work as well, um, be that, you know, just doing the little things like feeding the homeless. Um, every I think we have do that every other Sunday morning, maybe wow. every Sunday morning now. Um, or I know that we there's um, a prison ministry that we're affiliated with. Um, basically, we definitely believe that God calls us to share His Word wherever. Um, and every person is called to do it in their own sphere, in their own way. And part of your um, purpose in life is to find out like how God gives you your own individual gifts and strengths to um, share the gospel um, and his love with others. That's awesome. So it's definitely more of a, or at least from what I'm getting from you, is that it's, more of just service and then wherever you are in life always just share the gospel while you can type of it okay not less of a like program because so obviously the lds program is very strict very specific costs a specific amount of money it's very very rigid right so it's very cool to hear and very revolved around service then right yes it is it's revolved around um 
service, putting more good in the world. Um, and then, you know, sometimes missionaries, like, they'll go out and, like, get a job and, like, do it for profit. And sometimes they rely solely on um, donations from the community, um, whatever people feel they um they can give obviously families will help when like individual family members are going out um but yeah it's really just all about sharing the word and also like adding a little more good to the world than um was here before i like that i like that a lot so i I have to ask when going out on these missions uh locally or abroad is is it ever the is it more the intention just to kind of serve or is it also uh is it important that you convert people to your belief so the main goal is to at least get the word out there Mm -hmm. we very much believe um in free will and that um God is not going to like drag you by the hair to heaven and be like, I'm going to get you here, whether you like it or not. Um, We definitely believe in um, free will and we are going to share the gospel. Um, If we choose to do that, Um, if I choose to do that with you, I'm going to share his word with you and you choose whether or not you accept it and receive it. And that's really more between you and God. Like I'm just a messenger I'm not the one who's going to save you. That is the work of Jesus, the spirit and the father. Um, I'm just the tool that he uses to do that. Um, But the primary purpose is to, at the very least, get the word out there. And um, hopefully, yeah, some people will choose to um, accept Christ as their savior. But if not, like, that's between them and God. That's not a you thing, unless like you were rude to them, then that's a you thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, the main goal is getting the word out there, um, being a service to your fellow man. And if a couple people do convert to God or re, um, just re, recommit to their faith, if they've lost it for some reason, then that's a beautiful thing. I wanted to kind of clarify because I realized I said sharing the gospel Hmm. and I've noticed within different religions and I know specifically the LDS, that might be something like when I say sharing the gospel, I might mean something different than when you say sharing the gospel. Um, (laughs) So I'm curious when you say sharing the gospel, are you, what are you talking about specifically? Are you talking about sharing like the Bible sharing um, like the new Testament as the gospel the only reason I ask is because it wasn't until after um, stepping away from the LDS church that I realized that there was a huge difference bo- between the way, like when I said sharing the gospel, I was talking about sharing my church's doctrine and oh, beliefs um, rather than just like about Christ. Like when I would say, oh, I was sharing the gospel, I'd be sharing about the Book of Mormon, nothing okay. to even do with the Bible. And I would consider that. And so I never realized that when people were talking about sharing the gospel, there could be different meanings behind that, you know? And so when you talk about sharing the gospel, um, what did that mean to you? Um, so for me, that means um, primarily um, the um, sharing about Christ, um, salvation that he provides through his resurrection. We believe that 
Um, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord um, and repent of your sins um, and dedicate your life to his service, then you will be saved. Um, and that's the main core. Um, but really, it boils down to um, this the canon. So Old Testament and New Testament, um, we don't really look at um, consider the Apocrypha as part of scripture. Um, or we don't we don't use the Book of Mormon. Um, it's really the Bible itself, the sixty six books. Right. Okay. That Good to know. Like I said, I just want to clarify because now I, I never realized that that was a difference mm -hmm. um, between other versions of Christianity and oh, yeah. the yeah. Christianity that I grew up in until very recently until I was very much older. And so now I always think that's a fun question. Yeah, it's so interesting to see that the similarities, there's a lot of similarities in um, yeah. a lot of uh, Christian religions, but there's also some very unique things about each each individual uh, church. So it's always so interesting to learn about the similarities and differences for us. Yeah, and speaking of like having differences or kind of um, differing opinions, one of the main things that I wanted to make sure that we, we fit in here was your congregation as a whole changed its denomination. Would that be the right word? Yes. So um, just to like kind of give like an example of like, I'm a theology, I was a theology major in college, so this is my thing. Um, so you have like that whole Christian umbrella. And then within that umbrella, there is... Um, Catholic, Orthodox, Protestant, um, and basically anything that's not Catholic or Orthodox is generally considered Protestant, and that's like Baptist, Mennonite, um, Methodist. Um, I don't know if LDS consider themselves Protestant or not, but they would be um a group that formed after the Protestant Reformation. So that's just generally the caveat that you look at. Um, so Mennonite is a um, Protestant denomination of Christianity. Um, and our church changed to a different denomination. It's a slightly newer one called Fellowship of Evangelical Churches. Oh, and okay. for lack of better term, I always just joke and call them rebel Mennonite, meaning like <laughs> if there were there were just some parts of Mennonite tradition and practice um, that we were no longer agreeing with. So with our church specifically, not to get into too many details, um, our church really, really values accountability and leadership. Um, and so, for example, like we believe that the Holy Father like unconditionally loves every single person. It does not matter what you have done in life. If you confess your sins and you say Jesus is Lord and you repent, he loves you. He's there for you. And he is not out to get you for your sins. Um, but we do believe that in past um in higher positions like being an elder or a pastor um you do kind of need to be like a cut above and be above reproach so 
like, for example, I have very close family members who I love and I know that they are good Christian people and they love Christ um, so much and have a deep, like deep convictions. Um, But they had a child out of wedlock and got divorced um, while professing to be Christians. And so, um, and they've since seen how that affected their family life and personal life and how not following um, what we believe is the best order for the family um, caused some chaos, unfortunately. Um, But again, like God loves them and um, cherishes them. But because of that, we do not um, believe that that person should be a pastor. And that person will even say, I should not be a pastor because I've gotten divorced and have a child out of wedlock. Basically, um, the Mennonite MCUSA, so I should also say within denominations are like governing bodies. We were Mm -hmm. part of the Mennonite Church USA governing body, and they were being a little more lax about um, pastoral credentials. And it reached a point, unfortunately, in 2013, 2014, um, where our church did, along with several other churches, did call for accountability um, in the Mennonite community. And they said, no, like, we're just going to, like, license pastors. It doesn't really matter their background as much. Um, it wasn't anything, like, relating to danger. I do want to emphasize that. Like, I don't want it to be one of these things like, oh no, were they like licensing sex offenders? Nothing like that. Um, but like, still things that we believe there should be more accountability for and disqualify you as a leader. Um, so after, it was a months long process, almost a year. Um, in 2013, 2014, we made the really difficult decision um, to leave the Mennonite denomination. And then after another several month process, almost a year or two, we decided to join FEC. Um, so basically what that looked like was deciding, okay, like we know what we believe like doctrinally, but what do we believe about certain aspects like head coverings? Do we want to join a different Mennonite governing body or do we want to not be midnight altogether. Ultimately, we decided to go to with a new denomination. When we decided to go to a new denomination, what denomination are we going to? Are we going to be non-denominational? Um, one thing with non-denominational, from what I understand, is you don't really have like accountability to other churches as well. And that was something that was really important to our church is like, we weren't this free floating church out there that didn't have like a standard for how we conducted like church business and handled things like authority and who was pastoring and all that. Um, we did look for the accountability that a denomination provides, such as um, like having a denomination, um, for example, as a small example, um kind of decides the children's sunday school curriculum so we did want um authority there and accountability there so we decided to go with fec um fellowship of the evangelical churches which is an anabaptist group um that has a lot of the similar 
doctrines and traditions of Mennonites that is slightly different. For example, um, Mennonites and Amish in general are pacifist. Um, this, um, our group has a less defined thing on that where it, it kind of depends more on personal conviction. So if you asked our church now, like if we're pacifists or not, it really, like the answer depends on the person. Gotcha. And when the going through these type of like these transitions, was the congregation voting on it as a whole or was it mostly the pastor's decision? And then for the people who were like, didn't want to go to that group, did they split off? Did they have, what did that look like within, I can't imagine trying to get an entire congregation to agree on one thing. Well, how many, <laughs> how many people were a part of the congregation during the time of the change? So during the change, oh gosh, I want to say about 300, 400 people at the time. That's a lot of um, people. A lot of people. A lot of people. Um, generally speaking, like we all, um, I want to say it was like a 95% vote. Our church was very big on like, voting and making sure that the congregation was involved like we had weeks of um like night um like sunday nights we would have meetings and discussions about um where like the congregation would have the open floor and discuss like details their thoughts their beliefs um and we had that throughout the process the pastors um and the elders did um kind of choose what we voted on in some ways so rather than having mass chaos on um like having like a big vote on like okay which out of like all the denominations are we going to be now they like looked through the denominations that most aligned with us and then we like voted on that for example um when we at, we did end up changing the name of our church. That was a voting process. Um, so at one point it was like, here's like, let us know your ideas. And then people threw out ideas and then people commented on those ideas. And then there was a couple names that popped up that um, became more popular. So we voted on that. Um, and then, Were there anybody who, like, during the vote of deciding denomination, they ended up leaving and going to a different group? They did, yeah. So we had a lot of um, people who did, unfortunately, decide to leave our church. Um, some people parted amicably, some didn't. Um, I understand. And there's no problem, and at least from my perspective. I can't speak to anybody else, but at least from my perspective, I don't hold anything against those people. It was a big decision process and it was a lot because for some people like being Mennonite wasn't even just a part of like their faith identity. It's a part of their cultural identity. Right. And like having that part kind of stripped away or taken away, like I can understand being that being super, super scary. I didn't have that as much. Um, it was much more um, a spiritual journey for me personally, but I totally understand some people deciding to leave the congregation and joining others. Some people disagreed with why we were doing it. Some people, even though they stayed, didn't fully agree with all the decisions that were made. Like it was, you know, you ask every individual about the process and 
that everyone is going to have their own very different, very, very valid um, opinions. Some people probably feel like we didn't vote on enough or make enough decisions as a congregation. Some people probably think we made too many decisions and elders <laughs> made something else. But It's hard to make everyone happy and uh, change, yeah. is, change is difficult no matter what. The change, especially when it comes to religious beliefs, change can be very difficult. But it's yeah. at least it sounds like at least most or everyone had a chance to share their voice and their opinion, and it seems at least. So that's good. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there are people who felt a little voiceless or like a minority mm. or whatever. And I, I get that and I validate that. But I think for the most part, our church did the best it knew. I will say, I think everyone did the best they knew how to do at the time. Um, yeah, and that means everything was perfect, but everyone just did what they knew how to do in a time that felt like a crisis. Yeah, yeah. What? Um, I'll ask one more question, and then we'll kind of um, end on. Well, I have two questions, <laughs> and then we'll kind of wrap it up. One question would be: If you could say one thing that you feel like was positive about your church changing from its previous denomination to the other. What would you say, like, if one thing that you think um, made it a better congregation and a better church or possibly a better fit for you? I think for me, it was um, one thing that it made it better for me was like it enhanced my awareness of what a, it meant to be Anabaptist. Like I didn't all know like all the full theological stuff until we went through and dissected all that. So for me, it was so enriching and understanding like what my perspective was and even deciding if I believed that or not, that was such a gift for me, especially because at the time I was a teenager and I was still figuring out what I believed about life anyway. So yeah, for me, that was such a gift at such that age. Um, as um, a congregation, one thing that I think made it good is that it really showed how we handled tough conversations um and it really showed our true colors and i think this was something where the church could have easily collapsed um unfortunately i've seen churches collapse um for smaller issues and we're still standing our building is still standing a lot of our um a lot of people who were there before are still there today um, a lot of people who even still aren't a part of our congregation are still loved ones, respected people in our community that we love unconditionally, respect unconditionally. Um, and I, I just think it really showed how we handle the tough questions. Yeah, yeah I love that. Yeah. Well, I guess final question that I have, we appreciate you so much for answering yeah, so many so of our questions. We could here. keep you all night, but we won't make you sit here for that many hours. Um, but I'd say the final question that we talked about was what is one stereotype of the Mennonites that you think people like or one misunderstanding or one stereotype that you're like, that's not exactly a Mennonite thing or that you would like to clarify for all of our viewers? I think the biggest thing is that we're exactly like the Amish. We don't have TV. We don't have do like anything fun and we're boring. Um, <laughs> and like, 
That is so not true. Like Mennonite is a spectrum in a lot of ways um, on like, even though there are those core doctrines, there's also a lot of different varieties on how you believe about dress and TV and things like that. Um, so yeah, I guess that's the biggest thing I would challenge is that Mennonite is not Amish um, always. <laughs> It's so interesting. I mean, after talking with you and, and seeing some of the comments from our viewers, I mean, it seems like the Mennonite, it, it, calling every Mennonite the same would almost be call, almost be like calling every Christian the same, right? Like there's a lot of different types of Mennonites out there. So I'm glad that that has been clarified because um, that's kind of what I thought. At first, um, I just assumed that uh, they were all kind of the same, kind of like... Um, most LDS or, or FLDS are all the or same. Or people will same say belief. like, oh, if they're Mormon, then oh, then they practice belief. And we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not the same yeah. as us, right? Like yeah, huge, these huge differences where you're like, no, you can't mix up when there's some huge um, differences, especially culturally, I feel like. So, or yeah. in like those type of traditions. So we totally understand that. Yeah. But thank you so much caroline we really appreciate all of your time and all of your answers to oh man i've been so excited like all week i was like i can't wait to hear more about what this was like yes just yeah just thank you again so much for answering these questions uh, i'm sure that in the comments when we release this video there will be lots more questions <laughs> feel free to jump on there and answer them if you don't mind uh, we'll try our best but, uh, but thank you again for being here with us today and i will definitely be seeking out a congregation that has drums now because now you've made me jealous so if there's one thing that i'm taking away from all of this it's need i need drums in my life <laughs> I, I do want to like just manage some expectations here like we are <laughs> There, there are drums, but I, this is not a rock concert. So <laughs> if you're expecting like skillet level like performance, you are going to be disappointed. Okay, well that's good to know. I still want the link, still because again, I'm, I'm I grew up with the organ. Like that's okay. it. You get an organ. So I mean, if I even if there's a little bit of bass, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be jamming. I'm gonna be rocking out. So. <laughs> Anyway, thank you so much, Caroline. If anyone would like to hear more of what it was like for Sam to grow up in polygamy or gives the opportunity to be able to learn more about the Mennonites or all these amazing groups um, where we can really just help people hopefully come to understand each other more and realize that we always have more similarities than differences, then please like and subscribe. And we'll talk to you all soon. Thank you all. We'll talk to you soon.